The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Happy New Year, everyone. Getting ready to kick off 2015. And I've got to tell you, every year we like to start the year with a bang, and we are doing that this year with our guest. What a great way to kick off the year. This woman is awesome. She is known internationally for her leadership in the world of disability. She's very accomplished with a million awards that I would be here all day reading them. She's a great advocate. She's implemented change in domestic, international, everywhere, and she is the real deal. It is an honor to have as our first guest, Colleen Starkloff. Welcome to the show. Joyce, uh, that's a great lead-in. I, I sure hope I can live up to that. But I want to, I want to thank you for your many, many, many years of leadership, Joyce. And it's really just my privilege to be able to chat with you today about a subject which both of us love very much. Yes, thank we do. Thank you for do. inviting me. Yes, we do. Well, we're thrilled to have you. And hey, before I start, I have to have a special shout out to one of your biggest fans. May I tell you? Who's that? This woman talked about couldn't wait for you to be on my show could not wait and that is yoshiko dart shout out yoshiko lead on this is going to be our year i know you're listening to this show and i know you're saying hi back and here it is yoshiko colleen starkloff yoshiko is one of my mentors and she and i will march together on on uh in 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 july in dc We'll march to the Capitol together, shouting and chanting about the praises of the 25th anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act. Her dear husband, Justin, our major leader, um, I couldn't have better friends from this movement than Justin and Yoshiko. Yes. Yes, he's wonderful, and she is carrying it on. There's no question about that. I just love her so much the way you do. I love her very much, yes. Yes. We all do. Yes. So, Colleen, for all of our listeners um, across the country, how about if you tell everyone how you first became an advocate for people with disabilities if there's, like, two people that don't know you? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, there's plenty of people who don't know me. Thank you so much. I I um I grew up in the city of St. Louis and a uh, little Catholic girl going to a Catholic school. We had a little boy who who went to school there who had muscular dystrophy, and I used to help him go up and down the steps just because he was a nice little boy and he needed help going up and down the steps. Um, that was probably my first. One of my first experiences with disability, the second was there was a little boy with cerebral palsy who lived up the street from us, and every day a big yellow school bus would come down the street, 
and go, the driver would get out and go in the house, pick him up, carry him to the bus, go back and get his wheelchair and take it down the steps of his house to the bus. And off he would go on a yellow school bus and then it, then, you know, I only saw him on weekends. Um, If we wanted to play with him, everybody called him brother. If we wanted to play with brother, we had to go sit on his front porch because um, there was really little accessibility back then. And and so my idea was I either help Joey go up and down the steps, uh, or Johnny, or I go sit on brother's front porch and play with him. Um, I went to I went to physical therapy school at St. Louis University and um, learned all about rehabilitation of people with disabilities, but I knew nothing about what happens to people with disabilities in the community except those two experiences I'd had with as a child, realizing that the world was not accessible and that's the way it was. Well, my first job was in a nursing home. I was the chief physical therapist in a nursing home in Eureka, Missouri. I was also the only physical therapist, so, so I was the chief. But um, on the second day, on the first day there, I met Max Starkloff, and that was the first day of the rest of my life, uh, Joyce. Um, through Max, uh, I learned that accessibility was not a given. Um, it was also something that had to be fought for and won. And I just began to realize that people with disabilities were incarcerated against their will in nursing homes, which was not the place for people to be. And I didn't know that until I began to meet people um, like Max. And through Max, I met Jim Tusher. I met Ginny Laurie, Judy Human, who's my very, well, Judy and I are sisters now, Lex Frieden, Charlie Carr, Marka Bristow, I mean, Mark Johnson, you, the, Ed Roberts, um, all of the beginning leaders of this great movement um, became my friends, and then shortly thereafter we met Justin and Yoshko. And I just, I just had an epiphany, and I thought, there are plenty of people who can be physical therapists, but there need to be people who can be advocates. And so when I first looked at Max Starkloff, looked him in the eye, I fell in love. That was the end of that. But it was the beginning of a... Uh, a career that has brought me great friends, um, great change in the world, great exposure to things that I could do to participate and, and help out a little bit. So it's become my passion. Well, you certainly paid it forward, let me tell you. I don't know. You know, the, Colleen is the co-founder of the Starkloff Disability Institute that is so highly revered. And she is highly revered for the work that she has done. So, you know, you went from meeting Max to maximizing everything you knew about disability for everyone. So, you know, my my hat's off to you. Thank you. Max worked tirelessly to help people with disabilities, and sadly, I do not have the pleasure of knowing him, uh, but tell us about Max. First of all, what did, what did happen to get out of that prison otherwise known as the nursing home? Well, let me tell you how he got in there. Um, in, in August 9th of 1959, Max was driving his sports car with his friend Patty um, after a day of a sports car rally racing. He had a 59 bug-eye Sprite 
that he just loved, and it was a new car and, and a very little car. And he spun out on a gravel road in a, in a rural area and flipped the car over and became disabled. And at that time, it was very typical, and I think somewhat there's, there's somewhat of it still today that, that doctors will tell you, well, you know, good luck, and he doesn't have much longer to live. Um, it's changing some today, but it still does happen. I still hear of it. But Max had a mother with an indomitable spirit. He was raised by a single mom, had a brother and sister, and um, his mother was just a, a real charger, and therefore so was Max. Um, but he lived at home for four years, and it just became very difficult. The idea of having a personal assistance or attendance in your home was something only people with a lot of money could really afford, and then back then it was pretty much private duty nurses. And that was very difficult. Uh, Hertha Starkloff was his mother's name, and she and Max hired a series of attendants. Some of them were ex-cons. One of them actually had, been a, had murdered someone. That was a revelation. Um, and what were they? Um, attendants, but they, they, per, these were the care attendants. Yeah, the attendants. Yeah, who, oh, who worked in his home. Oh, I mean, my goodness. You know, and that's kind of what it wasn't like it is today, where we have actually a, the beginnings of a system that can emancipate people. So after four years of a series of attendants that, you know, stayed for a while and then left, and it just became very difficult. So the only option back then was a nursing home. And Max really felt, when he went out there, he didn't say much to his family because he knew that his mother was doing all she could, but he pretty much felt that was a life sentence. And uh, there's actually a book about him. It's called Max Starkloff and the Fight for Disability Rights. It just came out, and I hope that people will buy it off of Amazon or from the Missouri History Museum in St. Louis. The link for okay, that wait, is... Let's get Let's get the name of that again for our listeners. What is the name of the book again? It's called Max Starkloff and the Fight for Disability Rights. And the book, written by Charles Claggett, who is chairman of our board and just a a brilliant man, um, he really captures Max's story and, and really tells why somebody like Max had to fight for his dignity, his self esteem and personal respect, and for a life outside of an institution. And that, of course, is, is the foundation of what our movement's all about. It's, it's the emancipation of people with disabilities. And Max, Max believed that he would not live the rest of his life there. He talked me into it. Lucky me. Uh, <laughs> so we escaped together after two years of being there. We got married and moved out the night before we got married. Um, he had begun to work on an independent living center called Paraquad, and I quickly jumped on board to work on that with him. And through that, met Ginny Laurie, who really was the grand dame of the independent living movement and connected so many people, not only in this country, but around the world. And we learned a great deal from each other about what people were doing in their cities and their states and, and through our relationships and friendships um, with people like Judy Human, Marco Bristow, Lex Fried, and Charlie Carr, um, we began to forge the foundation of the disability rights movement. And, of course, Ed Roberts and Justin and Yoshko were right there at the forefront. So we began to craft what had to change, what wasn't right. And one of the things that wasn't right, and one of the reasons that people with disabilities were being 
stuck away in nursing homes is that we didn't have a good personal assistance service system in this country. It's still not perfect, but it's way better than it was. The Medicaid system now will pay for attendance. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't always that way. There wasn't uh, curb cuts. There weren't lifts on buses when we got started. You, you weren't guaranteed an education uh, in a regular classroom. Um, you, you, the Rehabilitation Act of 1973 was just starting to bring about rights through Section 504 of the Rehab Act. That's the first disability rights anti-discrimination law we ever had, really. So it was a very different day, and I lived in the day when you couldn't expect to go into a restaurant, first of all, to get in, secondly, to be treated with dignity by the servers, and third, be able to go in the bathroom. So the world that I experienced when I became, you know, interested in the disability rights movement was very different than the world today. And I do mean the world. This is all around the world. Right, right. So well, I hope people will buy the book, Shameless Promotion. <laughs> no, I hope they will, too. And we will also, uh, Colleen, put that on our website. Thank you. Um, now, of course, all of our listeners know that um, I live with epilepsy. Right. And often we talk about, you know, how far we've come because, you know, my mentor is Tony mm-hmm. Quello. Yeah. We have, who, by the way, received the Lifetime Award from, is it called? Max Starkloff Lifetime Achievement Award from Mike, the National yeah. Council on Independent Living just this year, yes. Yes, yes. And yes. that was my a great really honor to, to give that to you, to give to Tony. Yes, well, it was a very big honor for me to accept that in the behalf of such a man and such a giant. But um, we already have had some questions uh, either tweeted or emailed to us. This one here, just, uh, wow, what a great question. And it is from Cindy in Ohio. And the question is, I wondered what you think Max would say today about how far we have come at the 25th anniversary. Well, thank you for that question, Cindy, and I I know what Max would say. Max would say that we have made tremendous, tremendous progress as a result of the ADA. As a matter of fact, there are people with disabilities born after the ADA who don't know what the world was like, what I was just talking about a few minutes ago, because we have requirements for accessibility in, in um, in all titles of the ADA, in employment, transportation, public accommodations, you name it, you're required to have it. We, we've also made great strides in housing because of not only accessibility requirements through the Fair Housing Amendments Act, but also universal design is gaining great strides. But I know for a fact he would tell you, because he and I talked about this very much, that the next big step um, to achieving the full promise of the ADA is employment. Mm-hmm. Our people are the poorest of the poor, Cindy. You probably know that, um, and I guess everybody listening to this show knows that. We have to emancipate our people. We have to lift them out of poverty. There are many opportunities uh, for supported employment for people with intellectual disabilities and developmental disabilities. We've made great strides there. We have to continue to press on with corporate America and open more and more doors of opportunity. Because of 
the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act and because of 504, more and more people with disabilities can now get full four-year degrees um, and their master's degrees. We've got the folk rehab system throughout the country that will pay for this. People have the skills now that corporate America is looking for. But corporate America still fears people who are blind and they think can't see and read a computer, people who are deaf who they think they can't communicate with unless they hire a full-time interpreter, people like my staff who can't use their hands um, on their computer but talk to their computers through Dragon. Um, So we have to dispel those myths within corporate America, and that's what we're doing through our Next Big Step initiative at the Starkloff Disability Institute. One company at a time, just like you, Joyce, um, you're opening up doors to opportunity all over the country for people with disabilities who have the skills to meet the demands of corporate America. Um, and, and, I, and I think that's, that's what we've got to do. That's our next big step. That's what the movement is now turning its attention to, that and home and community-based. We have to get our people out of institutions living in the community with the right services and supports so that they can go to work. But we've laid the groundwork over the last 40 years, and we're ready. We're ready to take that next big step, and by God, we're going to do it. Yes, we are. You know what, Colleen? This is the 20th anniversary of Vendor Consulting Services, which how amazing it would be the same year as the 25th anniversary uh, of the signing of the ADA. But during all those years, I've had three huge customers, Highmark, Bear. CSC, Highmark Bear CSC. And then, you know, a few new here and there, but those have been the large customers. And I have felt as if I was always trying to create a market. Yeah. Well, folks listening, listen to what Colleen said, because since Section 503's final role was released, what a game changer. I have never had so many companies call me when this started i like i was in shock i couldn't believe it i'm not used to this people calling me to hire people with disabilities so this is why we've got to get nationally somehow like that's great what you're doing at your institute because we've got to get the news out right we've got but then you're right we will have to educate uh corporate america because just as you said <clears throat> I am often surprised when I go to a company and how they have, just what you said, how could you do the job if you're blind or how would they be able to work here if they can't hear or what do you mean this person can use speech recognition software and I I mean. And somebody with epilepsy, my coworkers aren't going to be comfortable around them. The The whole gambit, yeah. They yes. just don't know. They don't understand. We, as part of our Next Big Step initiative, we, we, when we started, Max and I started the Starkloff Disability Institute in 2003 along with our partner, David Newberger. And we had to decide, um, we, had, we had, through Paraquad, we had created the independent living model for the St. Louis area and for the state. Um, and we had an, had an enabled opportunities for people with disabilities to really become empowered to live productive, independent lives in the community. So we had to figure out what are we going to do next. Well, we decided that we'd create a world that welcomes all people with disabilities. That's a bit of a lofty goal. <laughs> but, but we focused in on a number of things. And employment was, was a huge thing. Max said, 
you know, we, we've got to get our people employed. Mm-hmm. But to do that, you have to work with employers. You, you can't threaten to sue them. Um, right. You have yes. to become a partner with them. Yes, and you can't go and say, here are all these resumes of people. Why aren't you hiring them? No, no, no. That's right. You've got to vet them. I mean, we, we've created a multifaceted approach to this. The first thing we do is we, we are available as consultants to train corporations in their offices and online on how to be comfortable with and welcome people with disabilities. So we go in and do that. We do it here in St. Louis, and we do it in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We do it wherever we, where, wherever we uh, are, are asked to go. We have some wonderful corporations who work with us. Nestle Purina is a major partner with us. Centene Corporation is a major partner with us. Express Scripts is coming on strong. Um, <laughs> Enterprise Bank and Trust, which is a small bank here, but it operates in four states. SSM Healthcare, which is a system that operates, has 33,000 employees. These are corporations. Uh, Enterprise Rent-A-Car is one of our role model companies that works with us. So we have some major players here, um, but we have to go in and train them first, and they're very open to it. And like you said, they're coming in the door. Ameren UE was here. Wells Fargo was here. They asked us if we'd talk to them, and you know you know from experience, we used to have to go knocking on their doors. But the- Oh, tell me about it. With my customers, uh, never did I think there would be the day we'd be on a retainer. Never. Yes. Never did I think that. Yes. Well, uh, the, but the- it's a great day in America. As we move on here, I wanted to ask you at Starkloff, what are your major missions? What, what are the major things you, you work on? Well, let me let me if I if I have your permission, I'd like to talk about the other aspect of our next big step initiative because we have a model. It's a little different than your model. We we train disabled candidates to be prepared for the job interview, and our role model companies help us do that. So people with disabilities, who, they can send us our their resume. They can send it to www.starkloff. That's S as in Sam, T as in Tom, A-R-K-L-O-F-F dot org. Maybe we can put it on your website. They can send us their resume from anywhere in the country, but we also develop candidates' ability to handle behavioral interviews, to, to write their resume to the job description, to be prepared to do role-play interviews and do a competitive interview and compete with people, to dress for success, to own their disability, to sell themselves and not sell themselves short as people with disabilities. Don't go in there thinking that you're damaged goods because you're not. Um, We talk about diversity and inclusion and that people with disabilities are a diverse part of the workforce that can enhance the bottom line of a company. So we have have two, two ways of doing this. One is to interface directly with candidates who are looking for jobs and prepare them to be confident when they go in for that interview. The other is to open up doors with companies. So when somebody who's deaf or blind comes in, the company's already got their comfort level up, and so they're ready to interview these candidates. So that's very important. That is. And you know what? I don't want to lose our callers back. Dara, are you there? Hi, yes, I am. Hello, everyone. Happy New Year. Happy Happy New Year to you both. Happy New Happy Year, New Dara. Year. Thanks for your leadership in this movement. 
Well, no, thank you to both of you. Everyone, um, Colleen Stalkoff is a great person and a mentor to me, and I just wanted to come on and say hello and um, also um, hear what she had to say. She always has great things to say. She's a wonderful advocate, um, and I know how you feel about employment um, and the work um, of getting people with disabilities to live independent lives. So um, it's a great show, Joyce, as always. How are you today? I am great, and I'm. I, in case you listeners, if you missed it, we had a great show at the end of the year with Dara, Becca Coakley, and Rhonda Newhouse. Oh wow! And, yes, and <laughs> That's what a the power show? Team. <laughs> yeah, what the show was is talking about 2014. You know, issues in 2014. It was right. just fabulous. And what we're going to be doing is we're going to have uh, at different times different ones of them back on while we're interviewing someone. Uh, Dara Baldwin, I've known for a long time. I want all of our listeners to know she is the real deal, and she is a powerhouse. Yeah. I think so highly of her. So, uh, Dara, can't wait till you come to Pittsburgh to see the Pirates. Oh, you know, yes, I definitely will. And um, thank you so much for the compliment. It was a great show. We've been sending out the link and um, getting great responses on Twitter. So definitely uh, send us your tweets. Um, We're ready for the 114th, and I want people to not be discouraged no matter what you hear out there. We have been through these times before, and we've gotten things done, and we will be through them again. But I did want to ask Colleen one quick question. Sure. Oh, go right ahead. So uh, I don't know if a lot of people know Colleen's history um, or what she's doing, but I wanted to ask you, uh, what does it feel like to be um, a woman in this movement? Uh, and what does that mean to be a woman in the disability rights movement? Um, we, you know, you hear, you see so much about. Not to say they're not great. You know, Justin Dart and Tom Harkin and Tony Coelho. You always hear the men's name, but I just wanted you to give a perspective from a woman's <coughs> perspective and um, have a great rest of your show. Well, Dara, thank you for your leadership, and and I just I'll answer your question, but before you go. Another issue that that all of us are going to have to hit and hit hard is the Medicare disincentives to work. We're going to have to take that wall yes. down. And yes. I know you're up there keeping the fires lit for us, but that's another big deal. And if we get a chance to expound on it in this interview, I I hope I get to. Um, to answer, thank you, Dara. To answer your question uh, about being a woman in this movement, I have to tell you that. Um, I I have a lesser role in this movement, and I don't say that with false humility. We have some giants who are women, who are leaders, and have been there at the very start of this movement, starting with Judy Heumann, Marka Bristow, Yoshiko Dart, um, Jenny Laurie. These women have empowered me and taught me the issues that are important to this movement. And I can tell you that the men in this movement have always had very great respect for the women in this movement. Now, sometimes I've seen Mark and and Judy kick some tails uh, in the early days, but I can tell you that Max Starkloff had tremendous respect, admiration, and deep love for these women in this movement who have, um, together with the men, have shaped a very powerful movement that has not just shaped this country, but has changed the world. For me, it is my privilege just to be a part of it. And I'll tell you honestly, when Max died on uh, December 27, 2010, I did not know 
if I would continue to have a role or be embraced by the movement. And this has been a deep friendship that did not leave me behind it, for which I am deeply grateful that they allow me to continue to contribute um, thoughts and ideas and and continue Max's leadership, really, as a part of this perfect movement. Uh, I thank you for your question, Dara. Thank, thank you. Thanks, Dara. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, Dara. Um, you know, when you were saying about how we people with disabilities accepted you, you've got to be kidding. No, I'm serious. I know. Well, listen. Max you're was a, a giant. You're I was right behind him. <laughs> yeah, well, you're a blessing to all of us. Thank you. Uh, because you're out there fighting the fight, and we need a lot of people fighting the fight, uh, especially... Well, you know what? There are so many things. My thing is employment because that's my whole background and that's what Bender does. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's the only way we're going to have equality for people with disabilities. That's right. But but there are other issues, and you just brought up one of them. So let's go there. Let's talk about those incentives uh, that must change. Well, uh, I... In some ways, I look at things rather simplistically. I know there are a number of efforts going forward. I've talked to Kathy Martinez about this at ODEP. I've talked to Bob Williams at um, ESSA, at the Social Security Administration, and I've talked to Henry Claypool at APD, and, of course, Kelly Buckland at Nickel. We need a united front on what needs to change within the Medicaid program. And, and in its most simplistic form, my feeling is that we have to recognize that at the moment, Medicaid pays out millions and millions and millions of dollars in all the states to support people with disabilities, many of whom VR has spent money on to educate um, and provides attendance for those individuals. But if they go to work, they're going to lose that Medicaid benefit, and therefore they're going to lose that attendant. When the Medicaid program was structured in the mid-60s, it was structured for the way people with disabilities lived at the time, but the times have changed. Through our movement, we have changed the opportunities for transportation, for housing, for education, now for employment, for health care. Those have all changed. We have a different world now, but the policy of the 60s doesn't work in, in today's mid-2000s uh, for the way people with disabilities want to live. So we, in my view, we have to... I think we have to lift the caps on income, frankly, and have a sliding scale by which you can pay for it. Because here's, here's an example. You take somebody who has a master's degree in education, has, has a spinal cord injury, and wants to work at a job. But the attendants are being paid for through the state Medicaid program. And in the state of Missouri, the cap on that is 300% of, of poverty, which is about $32,000 and change in today's economy. But the, a person with a master's degree who can teach at the university level should be making upwards of $40,000. Well, that takes you above that, that, 32, that 300% of poverty or $32,000. No employer is going to hire somebody and pay them what they're worth plus the amount needed for them to pay their attendant. That's not realistic. The Medicaid program currently pays for the attendant. If we let that individual I just described go to work and earn his forty or fifty thousand dollars, whatever, whatever the the market rate is, and pay a sliding scale 
um, monthly premium for that attendant, just like we allow them to do under the ticket to work for your health care benefit and your attendant benefits. But if we lift those caps, and as your income increases, let people's um, um, monthly buy-in increase, what's yeah. going to happen is people, will, people with disabilities start paying taxes. Right now, they don't pay any taxes. That's right. right. And Jenny, uh, I mean, uh, Colleen, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but we have a caller. I know you would want to talk to these two callers. Tony, are you on the line? I'm on the line, Joyce. Tony (laughs) Quello, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Happy Uh, New Year, Tony. I just wanted to surprise you, Colleen, by calling in. How wonderful. Thank you. Letting all your uh, Joyce's listeners know uh, just what a great advocate uh, you are and oh, how much you. help you were in regards to trying to get votes for the treaty, disability treaty, uh, particularly uh, in Missouri where we're having trouble uh, with uh, the one of the leaders in the Republican Senate. Right. Um, so you tried very hard, so did I, but I really appreciate all that you've done on disabilities in general, uh, but particularly appreciate your work and your effort uh, aggressively to try to help us on the treaty, and I just wanted all of Joyce's listeners to know uh, what a great job you do. Tony, I really appreciate that, and, and um, I want to, if, if I may, I want to give an example of why we need to get back to the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. And it has to do with something that Joyce sent me in a question. She wanted to know, um, because of my background working with the Japanese, how things have changed in Japan. And, and in my view, um, the relationship that the advocates in the United States had with the Japanese is, has a direct impact on the changes that have occurred in Japan to benefit people with disabilities. 98% of train stations, including subway, subway stations in Japan, are equipped with elevators or, or lifts. Um, almost 100% of the buses in Japan are now accessible. The attitude of citizens toward people with disabilities has changed. They are now accepting people with disabilities in Japan. Some couples with cerebral palsy or with intellectual disabilities now have their children with them in the community and are able to raise them with the support of personal assistance. That didn't happen in the 80s when we got when we got involved with the Japanese. And it's because of our relationship with the Japanese and sharing our ideas and sharing our models that they've taken that to Japan to change it. They now have 24-hour personal assistance services as a nationwide um, uh, service as part of their national welfare system. Two percent of imp- of um, there's a two percent quota for companies with more of more than 500 employees to hire two percent people with disabilities as part of it. That's that's under our seven percent under the OFCCP, but. Um, if, if you don't uh, fulfill that quota, 60% of the total amount of your budget, if, they're, if they um, don't employ people with disabilities, has to go to the national government as a fine. Uh, I don't, we don't even have that. You know, the Japanese take our ideas and they improve on them. Um, well, we, we do have a fine if you don't uh, comply uh, on uh, 503 because uh, what it says is that for the first year, uh, you can get adjusted as long as you're making progress. Uh, the Department of Labor won't do anything, but you have to show that you're actually aggressively trying to um, meet, reach a goal. 
as right. long as you can keep proving it, you can. If not, they can find you. And so yeah. we have the same system, uh, but we're giving people a chance to acclimate. If we didn't do that, yeah. I'm a big supporter of that. If we didn't do that, we'd have uh, all the businesses community revolting and our beloved Congress would try to to change it. So right. I happen to agree with the implementation of it. So we do have a fine, but That's we're good. giving people a time to, to get there. Thanks for I, clarifying I don't think I'd that. I want to say, Colleen, uh, not negative. I'm very pro-Japan uh, and the Japanese people in particular uh, helped aggressively uh, to compensate Japanese-Americans who were interned and so forth. But uh, the Japanese uh, put those of us with epilepsy in mental health institutions. Right. Um, and so, uh, you know, while uh, I assume that is better today, their yes. attitude towards those of us with epilepsy was not a good one for a long time. And I went there twice to try to advocate that they uh, handle those of us with epilepsy different. So uh, their past has been rocky as ours has been. Right. A little more rocky uh, in that we never put people with epilepsy in institutions, but um, but, you know, I love what they've done in regards to accessibility. Right. Uh, but uh, in a lot of other areas, they still have uh, uh, improvements that should be made. Well, but, you know, Tony, I, I, think, I think our work, though, with Japan is a classic reason why we need to pass, why we need to ratify the convention. Because yeah, I, I it think, comes you know, out Japan of that has relationship. Made great I think the real reason we need to ratify is that you know, a lot of the conservatives are upset that the convention may do something with abortion, which is just not the case. No, it's not the case. But uh, in several countries, uh, uh, they actually uh, tell a disabled woman who gets pregnant that she has to abort her right. child. Right. Um, and uh, if a child is born with a, a disability in several countries, they don't get an ID number, like a Social Security number. Right. They're unidentified. Right. Uh, so that's the reason we need the treaty. We need to get people on the path to respect those of us with disabilities. Japan is is actually done a fairly good job, but we have countries who make us not even second class citizens, but make us a no class citizen. And Listen, in Ghana, if you have a mental illness, you're taken to a prayer camp and chained to a tree, chained to a tree, while the the high priest or whatever they call him prays the devil out of you. I mean yeah. that's 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 going on. Human Rights Watch has talked about that. Yeah. Uh, well, I just wanted to call to thank you. applaud you for all you've done and continue to do. Thank you. And, Let's bring uh, it back up, Tony. You have my deepest respect. I intend to to work on it again. There's, we're not going to give up. This is too much that's important right. of a fight. That's right. Thank you for your leadership. Well, if and for anyone in. thinks Tony Quello, we give up on anything, like you don't know. Him. <laughs> you don't know him the way I know him. That's right. So, so all of you senators or anyone that didn't help, don't think he'll go away because I know Tony. That's I will right. not. I well, happy New Year, Joyce, to happy. you personally, to Colleen, and to all your listeners. Uh, this has got to be a better year this year. Right. Uh, as long as we make progress, that's great. And so with uh, Colleen's help and, of course, my buddy Joyce, uh, with all of her efforts and help, we can make a difference. So we thank can. you very much. Thank you, Tony. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Tony. Love you. Love you. Bye-bye. Colleen, I know that I'm your life like I'm cutting you off, but you have another caller on the line. Oh, <laughs> that's great. 
Okay. Go ahead, caller. Hello, this is Johnny. Jelani from St. Louis. Jelani, how are you? I, I do good. How are you doing? Very well. Thank you for calling. You're welcome. I, I have an interview with a pair of next week. Way to go. Go get them. Thank, thank you. I'm looking forward to it. Jelani uh, participated in um, uh, one of our next big step classes that I talked about earlier in the show where we uh, work directly with can- job candidates to prepare them to be um, really strong contenders for a job. Jelani, I'm, I, I'm really glad to hear that, and I wish you the greatest of success. Please let me know when you get your job. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you. Hey, Jelani, calling. thank you for calling in. You're welcome. All right. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. Bye-bye. 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 Well, you're just so popular here today, Pauline. <laughs> no. okay, was okay. Uh, if we get through these questions, it'll be a miracle. in our class. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> so let's move on here and talk about something very, well, wait a minute. Were you done talking about the incentives? Well, the, the Medicaid issue? Yeah. Um, I, I, I just think that we need to simplify the program. I think we should, I, I frankly think it should continue to be a benefit because I don't think it's realistic at this point to think that there's going to be some kind of a way to pay for attendant services. And um, so I, I think we ought to continue to allow the Medicaid program in that regard where people need personal assistance through that to free people to keep their attendance and not scare them half to death that they're going to lose their attendance because they got a job. We need to re- reshape that. That's my, my biggest issue there. I, and that's going I to probably take it. a state-by-state approach because each state gets to decide what to do. Some, some, you know, in, in Kansas, you can make up to $60,000 a year. That's the cap under the Ticket to Work program. Um, in other states, it, it varies. There's different kinds of policies. There's no consistency across states. And there's no portability either. If you have attendance in Louisiana and want to go to school at, at UI, University of Illinois, Chicago, you can't take your attendance from Louisiana and go up there. There's no way to seamlessly transfer back and forth. Um, I know that to be a case in one situation. So we have a lot of issues that I think in today's world would streamline that program and get a lot more people into the workforce. I've yes, got an intern yes. starting next week who has muscular dystrophy, smart as a whip, and she's she's going to graduate in May with her four-year degree in rehabilitation counseling. And I said to her, what are you going to do about your attendance? She looked at me and she said, I don't know. That's a big deal. Under the ticket, she'll be able to work for more than $32,000 a year, but she doesn't dare because she'll lose her attendance and she can't afford to pay him. She needs 24-7. That's a yeah, serious I mean, problem. That's so terrible. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, how are people supposed to work? That's Why? Right. You're supposed to take this low-level position. You have a master's degree um, or, you know, whatever your education. But right. um, that is just totally reprehensible. And don't try so. to move up the ladder because you'll be penalized for, yeah. for trying to advance yourself. I don't think the Congress understands that. I think it's our job to get up there and talk to Republicans and Democrats. As far as I'm concerned, with all the Republicans who've been screaming to get rid of the Medicaid program because they think that it, the money's all going out, I think if they understood this, 
I hope I I hope I'm not idealistic on this. Maybe if they understood that this is what's going on, they might get behind us and make this a bipartisan issue. Wouldn't that be amazing? That would and not be, take us ten years to change it. That would be so amazing. That would yeah. be wonderful. Yeah. So and I I can't see why it wouldn't be a bipartisan issue. Because well, then you'd have tax dollars coming into the program. That's where the Medicaid money comes from. It's your and my tax dollars. I always say to people, when you have epilepsy, it doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or a Republican. You're yeah. having seizures. Yeah. So, I mean, you got, exactly. you know, we, we've got to get over this and understand disability does not have a political party. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I wanted to talk about something. This is such a great year, being the 25th anniversary of the signing of the Americans with Disabilities Act. I mean, this is going to be, for all of us, an enormous celebration. Um, And I was not involved at the signing. You were there, correct? No, I wasn't there. We were having... um big parties in St. Louis, but some, we sent some of our staff. Two of our staff went, Jim Tusher and Nancy Verderber. We sent well, them. whether or not you were there, you were involved with the day. So yes. my question to you is, what was that like? Well, the whole process of passing the ADA was amazing. Um, I, I also think that it, it further sealed and solidified the passion and commitment of advocates all across the country. And, the, and really, there was a dramatic um, effort by Justin and Yoshko, who just drove all around the country and, and, and united all of us passionately around the passage of the ADA. They, they really lit the fires and kept them going with that tour they made. And, and in St. Louis, um, early on, they came and we filled out um, little cards about a, an, an, an aspect of discrimination that you experience as a person with a disability. And he took all those cards back to Congress and dumped them on the floor of the Congress and said, this is why we need the ADA. I mean, that's dramatic as you can get. But it, it fueled and further strengthened our movement um, of, for the emancipation of people with disabilities through the ADA. Because the ADA picked up on things that weren't that weren't mandated by 504 and weren't mandated by the Fair Housing Act, you know, all of those things, um, the ADA came in and sort of cleaned up the rest of it. And um, for us, it was very exciting because we were on the phone and in meetings, both in St. Louis and all across the country with our colleagues strategizing um, how to get this law passed. And at the 11th hour, we had some some real problems. Even Kit Bond, uh, our senator in Missouri, was trying to um, kill it at the 11th hour. Liz Savage was telling me the story about that. I didn't even know that. But we were energized, and, um, and it, it strengthened our movement to participate all across the country in the 88. For me, it was electric. And to get it passed in two years' time, a land... Uh, uh, just a, a sweeping piece of legislation like that, following our hero, Tom Harkin and Justin Dart and Tony Coelho. I mean, to tell you, that, there was, that, that was an emotional high for all of us when the ADA was signed. I, I oh, can't I even can't describe imagine. for you. I can't I mean, even describe for you yeah, I, what well, it was like. It was, it was electric. And, we, and you know what, Joyce? We felt our power. When we passed the ADA, we knew that our movement had teeth, it had value, 
It was important. It was so validating to all of us who'd been kicked in the teeth so many times. But but we had a string of successes, and the ADA was, was just another one that, that just really launched us and made us say, I dare you guys, I dare you guys to turn us back. Right. And that's what we're going to do with the CRPD. Yeah, that's right. Instead of being <laughs> secondhand citizens, we became citizens. That's right. I mean, you know. And, and people, now, now we just need to be free by employment. That's where we got to go. That's yeah. the promise of the. That's the unrealized promise of the ADA. All right. Well, listen now. Here about this 25th uh, anniversary. Isn't what are exciting? you going to be doing at the institute? Um, well, we first of all, I want to applaud Mark Johnson, who who led us for the 10th anniversary. Uh, he and Becky Ogle, who who's an amazing fundraiser, uh, led us on the 10th anniversary. And Mark and I were talking about this a couple of years ago. And he was saying that he thought that this ought to be about our history. And he was right about that. The ADA Legacy Tour that's, that's rolling across the country right now is about our history. We have a unique um, relationship with the Missouri History Museum in St. Louis in our park, Forest Park. In 2010, they opened an exhibit called the Americans with Disabilities Act 20 years later. And they... Um, really did a, an amazing job. Uh, the exhibit stayed open for 19 months. It was free to the public. It featured all kinds of aspects of what the ADA has done. It was a 1,000-square-foot exhibit and, and talked about the amazing accomplishments uh, in the disability community and in the world because of the ADA. And they um, put up a website at that time, which is still up today, it's called Action for Access, uh, Changing Perceptions of Disability in American Life. And that, that website is still up, and they collected things from all over the country for that. So we're going to partner with them. Um, some of the things we're talking about are another march and rally, because we love to do that. Um, we're going to ask uh, Tom Olin and Mark Johnson to, to bring the van here in the fall. It'll be after the, the Legacy Tour is closed, but... We're, I've already asked Tom Olin if he'll bring it, and he said he will. Um, the museum wants to make a special announcement about what they're going to do going forward, and we're looking for a really great speaker to come in and talk about the history of the ADA. A few years ago, we had Bobby Silverstein come in, and now we're going to be looking for another really key historian of the movement to come in and, and speak to the issue of the ADA. So that's we're, that's what we're planning, and we're going to have all of the disability community and hopefully the corporate community lined up to help support us with that. Centene is already supporting supporting the um, the legacy tour, so we hope that that's going to be a really big celebration in the fall in St. Louis for us. Well, Colleen, it looks like we're going to have you have to have you back on again because this show went so fast; it's already ending. No. That's prob- yes, I know. <laughs> Time That's flies when we'll you have fun. You ba- we'll have to have you back on. But before we end the show, I wanted to uh, ask you what special message you have for our listeners. Well, I, I shameless promotion, I really ask them to buy Max Starkloff and the Fight for Disability Rights and read the book. I really hope they'll do that. You can get it on Amazon, and uh, you can get it at mohistory.org. If you have a disability... And you're looking for a job, 
please send your resume to www.starkloft.org. We'd love to have it, and, and, and it won't just go into an empty bin. You'll get a phone call from our staff trying to work with you to try to help you connect with our companies. You can sign up for our monthly newsletter. We'd love to have more people keep in touch with us through our newsletter, and that's, again, at www.starkloft.org. And I just, I just want to thank you, Joyce, again, for your leadership and, and for your voice. I know this, this goes all over the world, and I appreciate what you do, and I appreciate how you keep the fires lit. And you hired one of the guys from one of our Next Big Step classes, so I hope that worked out great, um, and we appreciate our collaboration with you, and thank you so much for inviting me today. Well, we'll have you again, Colleen. Thank you. I think you are awesome, and we loved having you on the show. Thank you. Yes, and Kate, let's hear that book title again. Max Starkloff and the Fight for Disability Rights. It's published by the um, Missouri, Historic, Missouri History Museum Press, and um, the author is Charles E. Claggett. By the way, Charlie Claggett was the guy who came up with a little tagline called This Bud's For You, and he also led the team that created the Budweiser Frogs. He's a talented guy, and he wrote a great story. Wow. <laughs> wow, yeah, that is, he's really, yeah, that is he's amazing. awesome. Yeah, That is really book. something. Well, I want to tell you why I would encourage all of you to buy this book and tell other people to buy the book. You know, not only because it will be an excellent book to read, but... You know, we seem to have fallen short on having some cohesive in our school systems history yeah. of the disability community. Yeah. And we need to change that. It's a good book for that, Joyce. Kids reading yeah. that book uh, will learn something about a personal... Per, one person struggled to fight for his independence and his dignity, but also how one person, as a part of a... It can join a group and change the world. That's the message of that book. And anybody can do that if they believe. Yeah, and we have to figure out how to start having books like this right. uh, in schools right. um, and get the disability community behind it. I always say, if we could get everyone to stop worrying about their silos, their areas, their whatever and right. everyone worked together, oh, my goodness, like we would be the powerhouse of the country. Well, Joyce, if we did that back in the days when we started this movement, we wouldn't have this strong movement. We all cared about each other. We all talked to one another. We shared ideas. We were on the phone. We were in D.C. We were in the trenches. We showed up. We scrapped our way to, to get together, and we created a movement, and it is, it is changing the world. I couldn't well, we be gotta more get proud. that. We've got to keep that going, Colleen. We got to keep we it going. We got to keep that going. Well, well you're listen, a spirit everyone. and a fire, We're coming and to I the end of the show, you. but Colleen, thank you very much for being with us, and thank you to all of the listeners. Wishing you all a great, happy, healthy 2015. And you know, we end every show with a quote by someone who has so impacted the world, and today so fitting that the quote would be, I am different, not less, said Temple Grandin. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Talk to everybody next week. 
Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, Voice America.